Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring a chapter from Wildcat, a novel of the West, written by Stephen L. Brooks. She fought rustlers, land thieves, murderers, and her own heart. Her pa taught Allison Catherine Cat Crandall to ride, rope, and shoot as good as any man. That's why they called her Wildcat. Then her pa died in what folks called an accident, and when she returned from his funeral, half her ranch hands up and left. Cat knew that meant her father's death was no accident but cold-blooded murder, even if she couldn't prove it yet. Soon her troubles really started. Rustling, stampedes, hijackings, her remaining hands attacked. If she didn't do something fast, Cat would lose everything her father had worked for. Cat was ready to strap on her gun and shoot it out with whatever hombres were behind these doings. But first she had to know who was behind it all and why. Right then a mysterious drifter who called himself Laredo and his two saddle pals, Banty and Bear, drifted into town. Laredo, big and handsome, with an easy-going sense of humor, said he wanted to help Cat out. Cat liked him right from the start, but from the things he said she realized there was something mysterious about Laredo, something he was keeping from her, something secret in his past. Cat's heart said she could trust him, but her head said she didn't dare. Then the attempts to drive her off the range with guns and sabotage intensified, Cat found herself riding into one of the great gun battles of the West, but was the man riding at her side true or a traitor? Wildcat wouldn't know until the last bullet had been fired. Wildcat is a thrilling romance of the frontier, brimming with action in the tradition of authors like Zane Grey, Max Brand, and Louis L'Amour, and the classic Saturday afternoon Western B-movies. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Wildcat. The Crandall Ranch spread across a couple hundred acres of prime, grazing land. There were many in the territory who envied Tom Crandall for his range and the success he had on it, but there were none who didn't respect him as well. Tom Crandall had come out here with nothing but a wagon, a couple of horses, a handful of breeding stock, and a wife soon to deliver their firstborn. Doctors back east had warned them about traveling along those dusty, barren, rock-strewn cuts that went by the name Rhodes, that it posed a danger to both his wife Molly and the child within her. But Tom and Molly were both the type that if you warned them or forbid them something, why, they'd do it just to prove you wrong. They had just gotten to the land Crandall had staked out in his previous trip a few months back when Molly started to groan and double with the pains of childbirth. They were surrounded by nothing but open land and water, not a living soul besides them within miles, except the horses and cattle, and they weren't much help in delivering a human child. Tom eased Molly off the wagon and hauled himself inside it to root for some blankets. He made a rude bed for her, as soft as time allowed, and laid her on it. Molly's cries by now were spooking the animals, but Tom couldn't take time to do anything about them. He knelt beside her bathing her flaming forehead with a handkerchief he'd managed to soak in the nearby stream bed. "'It's all right, Molly,' he said. "'It'll be all right.' 
The baby, Molly gasped. The baby's coming. Now you know it ain't time yet, he said, stroking her belly in hopes of convincing the baby it was too anxious to get out. No, Molly insisted, grabbing Tom by the shirt front. It's coming. You gotta do something. Tom didn't know just what he could do, but then no one knows what they're capable of in a crisis, and this was a crisis. Molly drew up her knees, clutching at each breath between words. Lift my dress. Tom needed the cool, wet cloth on his own head now. The perspiration was staining his shirt, and he was burning up, too, in spite of the cool breeze passing across them. Now, Molly, you know it just ain't right to expose yourself that way out here in the open. Her grip was harder. You weren't so shy about undressing me about nine months back. She pulled him closer. Besides, who's going to see anything out here except you and some dumb old horses and cows? Now lift my dress. Now! Tom and Molly had only been married about a year, but he knew better than to argue with her. He moved himself around until he was squatting by her feet and lifted the dress and petticoats underneath. Something was going on here, that was for sure. Molly managed to raise herself a little on her elbows. Now, I'm going to push. You be ready. The baby's head will come out first. Tom wasn't sure about what he was supposed to do about it, but something told him the baby was coming no matter what he did or didn't do. Molly gave a prolonged grunt, and he saw something round and red with a suggestion of fuzz start to come out. Molly! It's... it's coming! Instinct kicked in, and he realized his job was to catch the baby as it came out. He placed his hand just under the tiny head. Do it again! Come on! Another grunt, another push, and the head and shoulders were out. Tom held that head and shoulders as they emerged. One more ought to do it! Molly gave one more push, and the baby was in Tom's arms. Cut. Cut the cord, Molly gasped. Tom laid the baby gently on the blanket, supporting the tiny head, and pulled out his pocket knife, opening the blade with his teeth, and cut the cord. Land sakes, giving birth to babies was a messy business. But Tom Crandall couldn't care about that now. He grabbed a towel he'd brought out with the blankets and wrapped the baby in it. The baby cried its first breath, gurgled, and seemed to realize it was safe in the arms that held it. Tom sidled back around and held the baby so Molly could see it. Look, Molly, I did it. We did it, Molly whispered. Boy or girl? In the excitement, Tom hadn't taken time to notice. He'd been hoping for a boy, of course, to help run the ranch. He opened the towel and took a peek. Then he managed to smile when he told her, It's a girl. Molly smiled on their baby daughter, and the smile was still on her lips when her last breath blessed the newborn. Her eyes, though they no longer saw, were still on her when Tom realized she was gone. His tears washed his daughter's face. He buried Molly right there and used some spare lumber to make a cross with her name on it. Years later, when his ranch had grown to be the most prosperous in the territory, he bought a stone marker and had it inscribed with her name, dates, and the words, Beloved Wife and Mother, on them. 
Almost two decades later, his daughter erected a second stone beside it for his grave. All the ranchers around these parts and everybody in town turned out for Tom Crandall's funeral. The men, dressed in dark, solemn Sunday go-to-meetin' suits, and the women in black dresses that covered everything from the neck down, with hands concealed in black cloth gloves, matched the somber mood around the gravesite. Among the more prominent townspeople were Clem Grange, editor of the local newspaper, Doc Murray, and banker Morgan Hopkins and his wife and two grown sons. Even the children were dressed in black, their parents keeping a hand on a restless shoulder, squeezing occasionally to still a bout of the fidgets. One figure stood out among this company in black. She was tall, a beat-up Stetson turned back on the crown of her head, a tan suede jacket over a plaid flannel shirt, chaps tied over worn jeans, tucked into boots still dusty from the trail. This was the heir, Tom Crandall's daughter, Allison, though nobody called her that. She stood like a man, her thumbs tucked into her gun belt and one knee slightly bent. A blade of grass protruded from between her lips as she chewed. Behold, I tell you a mystery, the minister said. We shall not sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the sound of the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. She listened, just as closely as the others, and was just as solemn, though several of the women had cast disapproving glances at her. She ignored them. He had been her father, not theirs. She had loved him, and he her, and now she was mourning his death the only way she knew how. If they didn't like the way she did it, that was their lookout. The minister led them in the 23rd Psalm, and she repeated the words just as the rest of them. Her father had encouraged her to read and educate herself, though the only books he owned were a Bible and a Shakespeare, and she knew much of both books by heart. The minister concluded the service with a benediction, and the crowd began to break up. Allison stood communing with the pine box that contained her father's remains as the others moved around her. Some came and offered their condolences, which she acknowledged with nods. Clem, small and quiet-mannered, took her hand and said a few words that echoed the minister's. The editor was a good man who tried to live a good life, and Cat appreciated his warmth. But Banker Hopkins was a bit different. "'We're all so sorry to see your father go,' he said, with the warmth of a winter wind. "'But I'm sure you'll follow through in his obligations, as he always did.' Cat frowned. "'Just what do you mean, Mr. Hopkins?' "'Why, the mortgage on the ranch, of course. There's another two years, I believe, payable monthly.' Cat wanted to suggest where he might place that mortgage, but kept that to herself. "'You'll get your money.' "'Why, Miss Crandall, I was just expressing my hopes "'that you will continue to honor your father's legacy "'of meeting all his responsibilities, that's all.' "'Uh-huh. Like I said, you'll get your money.' "'She turned away from him to the next in line. Two middle-aged housewives gave their sympathy, "'but as they went their way, she heard one of them say, "'Isn't it shameful? "'She won't even wear a dress to her father's funeral, "'much less a black one.' 
standing there before the Lord in buckskin, dressed like a man instead of a lady. She heard that, and flame burned within her green eyes as she stalked after them, overtaking and confronting them, her hands balled into fists at her side. Bet you think I didn't hear you, but I did. Not a lady. Maybe I ain't dressed like one, but I don't think a lady talks about someone who just lost the best man she ever knew when they think she's not listening. The flame had reached her cheeks, reddening the freckles on them into a searing glow. Really, Miss Crandall, we really didn't mean anything by it, Mrs. Brodie said. I just meant... What Mrs. Brodie is trying to say, Mrs. Wheeler said, is that... that you didn't think I'd hear you, or did you want me to hear you and shame me into wearing girly frills to prove I'm a lady? No, we don't mean that at all, Mrs. Brodie resumed her indignant tone. Allison saw their husbands come into their wives' rescue and cut the argument short. Well, I'm going to prove I'm a lady by not smacking the two of you right now, because it's my daddy's funeral, and that would be disrespectful. Her fists remained tightly clenched at her sides. So I'll thank you for your sympathy, and thank you again for keeping your other opinions to yourselves. The bewildered husbands had reached their wives. She tugged at the brim of her hat so it shaded her eyes, and she said to all four of them, Thanks for coming, and good day to you. She started away and turned back. And calling me Miss Crandall ain't going to make me more of a lady. You know my name, Allison Catherine Crandall. And if that's too much of a mouthful, just call me Cat. The husbands were inquiring of their wives what this was all about as she strode away from them down the slope of Boot Hill to the tree where her horse was tied. She swung into the saddle and rode back to the ranch. Allison Catherine Crandall she told everyone to call her cat, and some, due to the feisty reputation gained when she was a youngster, added a shorter version of her first name, too, forming the nickname Alley Cat. And that fit, because from childhood she was a scrapper. She took no lip off anyone, and could give it back as good or better than she got it. Her daddy had taught her well. She was a skilled horsewoman at five, and a crack shot at seven, and when Billy Holcomb had tried to kiss her on her twelfth birthday, why, the black eye she gave him cured him of any more of that foolishness. When she turned fifteen, she was riding herd with the best of the men. She was tall for a girl, and she purposely wore clothes that hid any softness in her body. The sun had bronzed her face and arms as though to match the hue of the long ponytail that grew uncut and untamed, flying like a copper banner from beneath her battered tan stetson, when she was in motion, which was most of the time. And now, at twenty, she was owner of her father's lands, cattle, and other property. She'd never expected this to happen. The little girl inside her, the part she fought to deny, thought her father was going to be around forever, or at least a lot longer than this. But her daddy's men were good men, and they looked at her as one of their own, she could ride and rope and shoot as good as any of them. With their help, there could be no trouble continuing on the bar sea. Cat had reached the borders of her ranch. There was no fence. Her daddy hadn't believed in them. But there were markers, posts, driven into the ground at regular spots, 
bore rude planks with the bar C brand burned into them. Cat saw that one of the posts was leaning and dismounted. She wrestled it upright and kicked some dirt around it, filling in the widened hole and shoving a rock or two to help brace it. Each sign also bore a number. The posts were numbered consecutively around the border of the ranch. This one was 475. That made it easy to identify when one needed repair. Cat noted the number and made a point of telling Larson, the foreman, as soon as she reached the ranch house. She sat her horse and gazed at the land around her. Vast, wide, open, with woods at one horizon and mountains on another. Her father's land, rich grassland, fertile, healthy, with streams of fresh, clear water, partly aided by the hand-cut channels her father and his men and even she had helped to dig. To the east, she could see the smoke of the ranch house and another column of smoke from the bunkhouse. She gave a nudge to her horse, and he knew to take her home. We hope you enjoyed listening to this sample chapter from Wildcat. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.